Welcome to Truth and Liberty. Thank you for joining our daily live call-in broadcast where trusted leaders bring biblical insights to the issues and you can call in and get your questions answered in real time. According to the Bible, it's the truth you know that sets you free. So call in today to get answers, information, and resources to help you stand for truth and effect godly change in our nation and the world. And now here's your host, Andrew Womack. Hello and welcome to our Wednesday Truth and Liberty Live call-in show. I'm Andrew Womack and today I'm just here by myself. I don't have a guest today, but I tell you, I've got some things that I want to share with you from the Word of God that I think will be a real blessing to you. And in case you're new to this, our format is it for the first 30 minutes. I'm just going to be talking to you and sharing some things. And then for the next hour, it's an hour and a half program. And after the first 30 minutes for an hour, I will be taking your phone calls. And uh, I'll be glad to talk to you. We'll literally put you on the air and have you ask your question. And hopefully I'll be able to answer it. If I can't, I'll just tell you I can't. But I'd love to talk to you. The number is 719 635 or excuse me, that's my 24-hour-a-day helpline that we have. I'm so used to giving that out on television, but here the number is 719-619-2341, and uh, we'll be glad to take your call. Again, for about the first, uh, for the next 24 minutes or so, I'm just going to be sharing some things with you. I would like to announce that tomorrow is the start of our Truth and Liberty Coalition Conference. And I tell you, last year we had, I think, one of the best conferences I've ever been to. We saw people's lives just transformed. And uh, one of the greatest speakers is our own Richard Harris. He's the director of our Truth and Liberty uh, Coalition. And I tell you, Richard, he's a, a lawyer. He's practiced law. He gave that up when he came here to uh, Bible college. He thought he was giving it up, but then we got into all kinds of legal things, suing the governor of um, Colorado during the COVID time, and uh, Richard was busier than he's ever been. Now he's not doing much of his uh, lawyer things, but man, he has just blossomed as the director of Truth and Liberty, and it's powerful. Matter of fact, I've got a little clip that I'd like to play from last year's Truth and Liberty. This is uh, Richard Harris, the director of our Truth and Liberty Coalition that is speaking. And this is just a little sample of what happened last year. Remember that we're starting this year's Truth and Liberty tomorrow night, and I'd encourage you to be a part of it. So watch this, and I'll be right back. In the United States of America, our nation is built upon the foundational idea that every human being has the right God-given right to worship God, to speak His mind, free speech. All these other rights are given to us by God. And the most sacred of these, the first of the first of the first, is the freedom of religion, the freedom to worship God, the freedom to build the house of God, which means to speak the Word of God. So we need to stand up in our culture and in our age and in our day, and we need to speak to the king, so to speak, to the institutions and apparatuses of society, to the government, to Joe Biden, to, to Jared Polis, to everybody else who stands against us and say, we're going to do what we're called to do because God gave us this right. You didn't give it to us, and you can't take it away.
Amen. I tell you, Richard's just on fire there. And like I said, this is one of the greatest conferences we've ever held. This year, I'm going to be speaking. Of course, Richard Harris will be speaking. We had our Congressman Doug Lamborn scheduled to speak, and I think it was just last Friday, Thursday or Friday, that he had something up. He can't make it, but his faith advisor, Jeff Anderson, who's been a great friend to us, he's been a pastor himself, and he is on staff with uh, Doug Lamborn just to reach out to the faith community. He's going to fill in for Doug Lamborn. We're going to have David Barton, Alex McFarlane, who hosts one of our Truth and Liberty every day. He, he's a real blessing. Chad Connolly, who's an who has been an elected official, and I tell you, he's awesome. We're going to have Lucas Miles. Uh, man, he's gained a lot of recognition lately, and I think it was just last week, I think it was last Wednesday that I had him on Truth and Liberty program right here. And then Janet Folger Porter is going to be with us. She's the one that authored the first heartbeat bill. She didn't get it passed in Ohio, but Senator Jason Rapert took the heartbeat bill and had it passed in uh, Arkansas. And anyway, Janet is just a great uh, warrior for the unborn, and she's going to be with us. Also, Mohammed Faridi. And let me also mention real quickly that we're going to have a performance on Saturday morning called Overturned. And this is by the Murins, the one who have done so many of our uh, musicals and things. And I tell you, they're powerful. And this one is about the overturn of Roe versus Wade. It's about the abortion issue. My wife is in it, and she has come home just saying that uh, she doesn't know how she's going to be able to hold it together. It is such an emotional thing. And it's powerful, and it's going to be a great, great performance. And so, again, if at all possible, I'd encourage you to come and be with us. This starts tomorrow, and uh, it goes through Saturday, and I believe you'd be really blessed to be a part of that. Also, let me mention quickly that we have our uh, Truth and Liberty website at truthandliberty.net. Uh, you can go there. You can get news feeds. You can get connections with all kinds of things so that you can register to vote, find out information, all kinds of things there. There's, uh, it's just a wealth of information. And we'd also encourage you to become a partner with us. We look for people to be uh, partners by giving an automatic uh, $5 or more gift per month. And we do have a lot of expenses associated with this and this conference that we're putting on. We also are putting together a Truth and Liberty Awards Banquet. Last year we gave out awards to Matt Staver of Liberty Council and then also to Jack Phillips, who is that baker in Denver that has been treated so badly, but he stood. It was powerful. And this year we've already had Joe Kennedy, the uh, coach, you know, who was fired because he took a knee at the end of the game and said a silent prayer. And he's been in the battle, I think, for five years or more, finally won at the Supreme Court. And just this month, he was reinstated and he's become somewhat of a hero. And we're going to give him an award. We've got some other people that we've asked if they would accept the award. We hadn't heard back yet, but we will be doing that. And that'll be really good. You know, what I want to do is to share with you just some things from Scripture. If any of you watched my last night, I have a Tuesday night live Bible study that we do. It's an hour long. And I was teaching from Numbers uh, chapter 11 about Moses and the children of Israel not being satisfied with the manna and wanting flesh. And God gave them their desire 
But boy, there was a plague that broke out among them and, and thousands and thousands of people died. And Moses got so put out that he asked God just to kill him. He couldn't put up with these unbelieving people anymore. Uh, I ministered that last night and God has really been speaking these things to me. What I want to do right now is just share with you some things from Numbers chapter 16. And again, this is coming from my own personal Bible study, but these are just things that I've been really focused on. And let me preface everything I'm going to say here. You see a lot of the wrath and the anger of God poured out here in Numbers chapter 16. We now live under a new covenant and it says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, that we uh, might receive the blessing of Abraham, that it would come upon us. And so what we see God doing here, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you aren't going to see God's wrath poured out like this. And so this isn't an apples-to-apples apples comparison. We have a different covenant established upon better promises. Uh, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6 says that. But there still is great things to learn here. Just because God isn't pouring out His wrath on us doesn't mean that God has changed. God is still just as holy. We still owe Him just as much respect and honor, and we need to turn away from being grippers and complainers the way that the Israelites are even though God's now poured out His wrath on Jesus so that we won't have to bear it ourselves, that doesn't mean that we just take advantage of that and go around uh, operating in unbelief and disbelieving God. This just really touches me to see how holy, how awesome God is, and it makes me thankful and grateful for the grace that's extended towards us because I tell you what, we aren't that different from these people right here. So in the 16th chapter of the book of Numbers is where Korah, Dathan, and Abiram came out against Moses and challenged his authority. And there's a lot I could say about this. Let me just focus here in verse 3. This is what Korah said to Moses. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, you take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore dost thou lift up thyself above the congregation of the Lord? So the basis of their complaint, they were Levites, but they were the Levites who were supposed to handle the tent, uh, the tabernacle, the curtains, and all of those kind of things. They were not priests. They could not enter in and do the service. And of course, Aaron was the high priest, and Moses was actually above that. Aaron was, was uh, sanctioned and ordained and separated by Moses. And they, didn't, they weren't content with just being ministers. They wanted to be the top ministers. They were actually cousins of Moses and Aaron. And, and this is a real key right here. They said, you take too much upon yourself, seeing all of the congregation are holy, every one of them. You know, I've often wondered why you see Christians, churches, and things like this having uh, fights and splits and divisions, even more so, I think, than what you see in secular businesses and things like that. If anything, the church ought to be operating in love and unity, and there ought to be a greater unity in the church than there is in the secular world. And sadly, it's not always that way. And I've wondered about this, and I believe that this verse right here is one of the keys to it. And he said, it's because you take too much upon you, we are all holy. See, in a secular setting, 
if you were in a corporation and if you didn't like the leadership and you didn't like what they were saying and what they were doing, you might not like it, but you wouldn't form a rebellion because those people, it's, there's just a difference between the CEO, the person who runs the thing, and the person who works in the mail room or, you know, cleans the toilets or something like that. You've got this class system and things, and people just don't feel the same. But when you come into a church, the people in the pew, the people who are cleaning the toilets, the people who are mowing the grass, they look at that pastor and say, you're no different than us. You know, we're all brothers and sisters in the Lord. I'm also a king and a priest. And I think a lot of the reason that you see a greater um, division sometimes is because we don't respect the authority of people in the church the way that we do in the secular realm. In the secular realm, you know that if you were to come out against the CEO and start bad-mouthing him, you'd be fired. But in a church, they aren't going to fire you. They aren't going to kick you out of the church. There's very, very, very few times that they would ever disfellowship somebody from the church, and most churches wouldn't even attempt to do that. And so people, I, it really comes down to an authority figure. They do not respect authority in the church, and yet it still exists. And just because God isn't going to pour His wrath out on you as He did on these people right here doesn't mean that God is any more pleased with the disrespect to the authority that God has placed in the body of Christ over people. He's just as displeased with that as he was in the Old Testament. Now, his wrath has been poured out on Jesus so that we aren't going to suffer, but that still doesn't make it right. And so just for time's sake here, I could spend an hour and a half or two hours preaching on this, but Korah, Dathan, and Abiram came out against Moses. When Moses heard this, he fell on his face and begin to pray for these people. He knew he had had people come out against him before and it hadn't worked out well for him. So two of those people were his own sister and brother. And you can see that in the 12th chapter of the book of Numbers. And they criticized him over an interracial marriage that he had. And because of that, God smote Miriam with leprosy and God had to, or Moses interceded to the Lord for Miriam, and he finally, after seven days, healed her. But he had seen people that when they challenged him before, man, God's wrath came out on them. So Moses began to intercede for them, and he told them, he says, tomorrow you take a censer, and we're going to come before the Lord, and we're all going to offer this censer, which was symbolic of prayer, and we're going to see who God approves. This is really good because Moses didn't just sit there and defend himself. He deferred to God, and he says, I'm going to let God choose who is the right leader. Did you know Moses had a lot to lose by this and really nothing to gain? He was already the anointed leader, but he made himself vulnerable knowing that he was chosen by God, and he was willing to let God decide. Well, on the next day, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram didn't even show up. They snubbed Moses. And they didn't even show up. And look at what they said. He sent to them and he says, where are you? I told you to come here with your censer. Listen to what Korah said in verse uh, 13. He says, it, is it a small thing that thou hast brought us up out of a land that floweth with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, except thou make thyself altogether a prince over us? You know what he's talking about? He's talking about Egypt. And he said, Egypt was a land that flowed with milk and honey. That wasn't true. It was the promised land. God said he was bringing them into a land that flowed with milk and honey. And then in verse 14, he says, this is Korah speaking again, Moreover, thou hast not brought us into a land that floweth with milk and honey, 
See, he was aware of the promise, but what he was doing, he was despising God. He was despising God's instructions, and he despised God's man. And he snubbed Moses and says, I'm not even going to come out and honor you by doing what you told me to do. And Moses got mad. He, uh, there is a righteous type of anger, and he got mad. And he told them, he says, tomorrow, I'm gonna, he gave them one more chance, tomorrow you come out, and we are going to have God settle this thing. And uh, so it says in verse 18, And they took every man his censer, and put fire therein, and laid incense thereon, and stood in the door of the tabernacle of the congregation with Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered all the congregation against them into the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the congregation. Man, this is amazing to me. You know, the glory of the Lord was talking about this cloud that overshadowed them by day, and at night that cloud turned into a pillar of fire. They had a visible sign of the glory and the presence of God. You would think that that would just make these people shake in their boots and refuse to stand against the Lord and against the people that He had ordained, but they got used to it. This was about a year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, and they had lived with this glory of God in physical manifestation, and they had gotten used to it. Back in the 11th chapter, what I was talking about last night in our Bible study, they got to where they despised manna. And Psalms 106 says that manna was angel's food. It was a supernatural provision of God, and yet they didn't appreciate it. They got to where they despised it. And so anyway, when they refused to come out and when Korah got to saying these things, the Lord spake unto Moses in verse 20 and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. He was going to kill the entire nation of the Jews. Moses interceded and said, Lord, is one man, speaking of Korah, going to lead this rebellion and you're going to wipe out all of the people? And so he interceded for them and kept God from wiping them all out. But the Lord said, okay, it's, he said in verse uh, 23, the Lord spake unto Moses, speak unto the congregation, saying, Get you up from among about the tabernacle of Kor, Dathan, and Abiram. And Moses rode up, rose up and went unto Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And so what happened? Moses spoke this. I've got to read this. This is just amazing. In verse 28, Moses said, Hereby ye shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of mine own mind. If these men die the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord hath not sent me. Boy, this is bold. This is something else. He's about to say something that has never happened in the history of the world. There was no precedent for it, and yet he was so certain that he was ordained and chosen and he was representing God, that he was willing to put his entire life, ministry, reputation, everything online. And he says, if what I say doesn't come to pass, then you'll know that God didn't send me. But then he said in verse 30, but if the Lord make a new thing and the earth open her mouth and swallow them up, all that appertaineth unto them, and they go down quick into the pit, then ye shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. 
AND IT CAME TO PASS AS HE HAD MADE AN END OF SPEAKING ALL THESE WORDS THAT THE GROUND CLAVE ASUNDER THAT WAS UNDER THEM AND THE EARTH OPENED UP HER MOUTH AND SWALLOWED THEM UP IN THEIR HOUSES AND ALL THE MEN THAT APPERTAINED UNTO Korah AND ALL THEIR GOODS, THEY AND ALL THAT APPERTAINED UNTO THEM WENT DOWN ALIVE INTO THE PIT AND THE EARTH CLOSED UPON THEM AND THEY PERISHED FROM AMONG THE CONGREGATION. BOY, THAT IS AMAZING. NOW, AGAIN, LET ME SAY THAT WE ARE UNDER A NEW COVENANT. YOU AREN'T GOING TO SEE GOD'S WRATH DISPLAYED THIS WAY, NOT BECAUSE GOD HAS CHANGED, NOT BECAUSE HE'S LESS HOLY, AND NOT BECAUSE HE'S JUST DECIDED, OH, I'M NOT GOING TO BE THAT WAY ANYMORE. NOTHING ABOUT GOD HAS CHANGED. HE SAID, I'M THE LORD. I CHANGED NOT. YOU KNOW WHAT CHANGED IS THAT GOD VENTED ALL OF HIS WRATH AGAINST OUR SIN UPON JESUS. IN THE 12TH CHAPTER OF JOHN, JESUS WAS SPEAKING, AND HE SAID IN VERSE 32, HE SAYS, AND I, IF I BE LIFTED UP, WILL DRAW ALL MEN UNTO ME. IN THE KING JAMES VERSION, THE WORD MEN IS ITALICIZED, MEANING THAT IT WASN'T IN THE ORIGINAL. THE TRANSLATORS ADDED THAT, TRYING TO GIVE CLARITY TO IT. AND IF YOU'LL LOOK AT THE 31ST VERSE, HE SAYS, NOW IS THE JUDGMENT OF THIS WORLD. NOW SHALL THE PRINCE OF THIS WORLD BE CAST OUT. HE WAS TALKING ABOUT JUDGMENT. AND IN VERSE 33, THE VERSE RIGHT AFTER THAT, IT SAYS HE WAS SPEAKING SPECIFICALLY ABOUT THE DEATH THAT HE SHOULD DIE. SO IF YOU TAKE THAT MAN, WORD MEN OUT AND RECOGNIZE THAT THAT WAS ADDED BY THE TRANSLATORS, I BELIEVE THAT INSTEAD OF HE'LL DRAW ALL MEN UNTO HIM, WHAT HE WAS TALKING ABOUT WAS JUDGMENT. THAT'S WHAT THE 31ST VERSE AND THE 33RD VERSE MAKES IT CLEAR THAT HE WAS TALKING ABOUT. AND HE SAYS, WHEN I BE LIFTED UP, TALKING ABOUT CRUCIFIED, HE WOULD DRAW ALL OF GOD'S JUDGMENT ON HIMSELF. IT WAS LIKE A LIGHTNING ROD. He, HE BROUGHT ALL OF GOD'S WRATH, NOT ONLY AGAINST JUST ONE PERSON, BUT AGAINST THE ENTIRE HUMAN RACE. ALL OF GOD'S WRATH AGAINST SIN WAS PLACED ON JESUS, AND JESUS SUFFERED THE WRATH OF GOD FOR OUR SINS. AND BECAUSE OF THAT, WHAT WE SEE IN NUMBERS CHAPTER 16 IS NOT GOING TO HAPPEN TO US TODAY. THANK YOU, JESUS. BUT DOES THAT MEAN THAT GOD IS LESS HOLY? DOES THAT MEAN THAT HE LIKES GRIPING AND COMPLAINING NOW, WHEREAS HE DIDN'T IN THE OLD TESTAMENT? DOES THAT MEAN THAT HE STILL, THAT HE NOW SOMEHOW OR ANOTHER HAS CHANGED AND HE DOESN'T MIND PEOPLE SHOWING DISRESPECT AND GOSSIPING AND TALKING AGAINST THEIR LEADERS AND DOING THINGS? NO, GOD HADN'T CHANGED. BUT WHAT HAS CHANGED IS HE PUT THE PAYMENT FOR OUR SIN UPON JESUS AND IT SATISFIED THE WRATH OF GOD. I KNOW THAT THIS IS HARD FOR US TO UNDERSTAND, BUT GOD ISN'T TRAPPED IN TIME THE WAY THAT WE ARE. AND WHEN GOD JUDGED JESUS, HE NOT ONLY DEALT WITH SIN UP UNTIL THE TIME THAT JESUS DIED FOR SIN, BUT HE DEALT WITH YOUR SIN AND MY SIN. HE'S DEALT WITH FUTURE SIN. AND SOME PEOPLE, AGAIN, THEY JUST THINK, HOW CAN GOD FORGIVE A SIN BEFORE YOU COMMIT IT? WELL, YOU BETTER PRAY THAT HE CAN BECAUSE HE ONLY DIED FOR OUR SINS ONE TIME 2,000 YEARS AGO, IF HE CAN'T FORGIVE SINS BEFORE YOU COMMIT THEM, WELL, THEN YOU AND I CAN'T BE SAVED BECAUSE THERE ISN'T ANY OTHER METHOD OF SALVATION. EVERYTHING COMES DOWN TO WHAT JESUS DID, AND IT WAS 2,000 YEARS AGO THAT JESUS DIED FOR OUR SINS. AND WHEN HE BROUGHT THAT WRATH OF GOD, IT DEALT WITH ALL OF THE SIN FROM PAST, ALL OF THE PRESENT SIN. IT DEALT WITH ALL THE FUTURE SIN THAT THE HUMAN RACE WOULD EVER COMMIT.
Jesus dealt with sin. Now again, does that mean that sin is no longer a factor? Well, it's not a factor between God and men, the men who will accept the atonement of Jesus. All of our sin was placed upon Jesus. And even people that haven't accepted Jesus, God paid for their sins, but it's not just a matter of what God does. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, that you're saved by grace. That's God's part. That's what He did by placing all of the wrath upon Jesus. You're saved by grace through faith. Faith is our part. If a person doesn't put faith in what Jesus did in His grace, then even though God's wrath was poured out upon Jesus, it doesn't apply to you unless you access that grace by faith. And that's what it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 2. We have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. So God's grace has made an atonement for everybody, even the people that haven't accepted Him. Even the people who hate Him, Jesus paid for their sins, but that payment doesn't go to their account until they put faith in it. Not until we work, until we earn it. It says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for uh, it says the wages of sin is death. The payment of sin is death, but the gift of God, not the payment, the gift. You can't earn salvation. It's a gift. It's just available to us. The payment has been made, but you have to access it through faith, and it's a gift. And if you receive that gift of salvation, then you are free. So anyway, I'm, I'm saying all of these things to say that I, I don't want anybody to sit there and feel like God's ready to open up the earth and swallow you alive or your enemies, the people who've come out against you. I don't want you to curse them and do what Moses did because it's a different day that we live under. But did you know what? You can still learn great lessons through this because it shows the holiness of God. And as I've been reading through, you know, the Exodus uh, from the uh, land of Egypt and then the way that they tempted God, the way that they wanted to turn back at the Red Sea and gripe and complain. And then they griped about there not being any water. And then they griped about not having any food. God supplied them manna. And then they griped about that. And on and on it goes. Right here in this chapter, I didn't take time to do it, but the whole congregation got so mad about what happened to Korah, Dathan, and Abiram that they came out against Moses and they were going to kill him. And a plague started. God just started killing people because they were out to kill Moses and Aaron, and God defended them. And there was 14,700 people that died. And Moses told Aaron to take a censer, prayer, intercession, and run into the congregation. And he passed up the people who had died. And when he got to the ones who weren't dead yet, when the plague got to them and their intercession, it stopped. And Moses, even though he, he probably uh, at times wanted the whole congregation to be wiped out because of their unbelief, he still interceded for them. And I guarantee you, Jesus is infinitely greater in his intercession than what Moses is. And Jesus stood between the wrath of God, the justice of God that was due to every one of us, and he made intercession. And when the wrath of God came to Jesus, it just stopped. And God's wrath is not poured out upon you and me as believers today. 
You know, I really think that sometimes New Testament Christians do not fully appreciate what Jesus did to us because they don't know the Old Testament. They don't really understand the holiness of God and they just take for granted the mercy and the grace and the love today and they just think that God's supposed to just be nice to everybody and overlook their sin and things like that. You don't understand how deadly sin is. You don't understand how holy God is. And reading things like this makes me appreciate our New Testament covenant more than ever. So praise God. That's just a real quick little Bible study. We've got four lines that are already filled up. Filled up. Uh, we've got one line that's open, so you can call it 719-619-2341, and I'd love to talk to you. We're going to take a brief 90-second uh, break. We're going to advertise our conference coming up and uh, some other things, and I'd encourage you to listen. And then right on the other side of this break, I'll come back and start taking calls, and hopefully I'll have an answer to all of your questions. Let's watch this. With practical government, you have experts in the fields that are sharing their perspective, wisdom, and experience. It's not available anywhere else in the world. We're going to teach a Christian heritage of our American government. They're going to learn about the Founding Fathers. We're teaching the Constitution, how government operates, practical skills, and field study. No matter where you're coming from, the world needs you. Whatever God's calling you to do, you're able to do it. To learn more, visit practicalgovernmentschool.com. At Truth and Liberty Coalition, we work to unify, educate, and mobilize the body of Christ to change nations. That's why I want to encourage you to go to our website at truthandliberty.net and subscribe so that you can begin receiving regular updates uh, about our show, news items, action alerts, blog posts, and much, much more. Uh, all you have to do is go to the website, click subscribe, share your email address, and you'll begin to be equipped to stand for truth in the public square. Hi, my name is Carrie Pickett, and like many of you, I wear lots of hats. But most of all, I'm a child of God. Ever since I was young, my desire has been to share the unconditional love of God. There is nothing more rewarding to me than people changing their lives and then changing the world. That's why I'm inviting you to join me wherever you are, and let's discover together these foundational truths that will transform your life. Okay, we're back. I'm ready to take your calls. And uh, let's go first of all to Jackie in Arizona. You're on Truth and Liberty Live. Call in with Andrew. Jackie, are you there? I'm not hearing Jackie. If she's there, I can't hear her. So uh, we'll have to skip that one. Let's go to Gary calling from uh -huh. California. All right, Jackie, is that you? Did you finally get through? I've, I've been on here. Okay, yeah. I can hear you now. I don't know why I couldn't oh, okay. hear you before. But Jackie, you're on with Andrew. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to go a little off the topic of what you're talking about now. I hope you don't mind. No problem. Um, something that's been on my mind for quite a long time, and I'm certainly not trying to cause any type of controversy, and I can certainly understand if you don't want to get into this topic, but I am just really curious because it seems like anytime I talk to anybody in my day-to-day -day opportunity, they kind of like walk away or blow you off. And I thought that maybe you could be fair and just tell me what your thought is. Controversial topic. And it's about the shape of the earth. Now, I'm not saying what I think it is or what it isn't. 
I just am going and looking at scripture. And for me, I feel like I might have been duped my whole life just because I didn't look into it. Because every scripture I see in the Bible that talks about anything that relates to the earth, it seems to be um, where it's stationary and it's not a spinning ball. What the shape is, I don't know, but I'm not going to go into all of the passages, but there's so many that seems like maybe we've been overlooking the truth right before us. Well, I've had this uh, brought to me before, even by some of our Karis Bible College students. And there are scriptures that say, you know, that he held back in the book of Revelation that the angels held back the wind from the four corners of the earth. And uh, people will use that to say that the earth is flat and things like that. But there's also scriptures that says that he set a compass upon the face of the deep, which a compass is a uh, curve. And so I'm not, you know, the Bible doesn't make a big point about the shape of the earth. I do believe that it is uh, circular or oval, uh, something like that. I've been up in a plane before. And you can actually, if you get up to 40,000 feet, you fly in a private private plane, you know, sometimes commercial planes will only go to 30, 35,000, but private planes gone up to 40 or even higher. You can actually see the curve of the earth. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons that uh, Columbus thought that the earth was round was because he would sit and watch the ships and you could see that the ship would, you could see just the very top of the mast. And then as it got closer, you could see that it was coming up over the curve of the earth. And then with the satellite photos and stuff like that, I totally believe that the earth is round or oval. It may not be a perfect sphere. And so I would take those scriptures about holding the four corners of the earth, holding the wind back as being symbolic, the same way that we talk about the four corners of the compass or the four directions of the compass. Uh, there's a lot of things in the earth where, it, I mean, in the Bible, when it talks about, you know, the Lord uh, reached down with his hands and did certain things. Um, that's not accurate. According to Genesis chapter one, he spoke the worlds into existence. And yet there are scriptures that take poetic license and say things. So that's my opinion. I believe that the earth is curved and I've seen it. Uh, I don't have any reason to doubt the satellite photos and things like that. Plus, just by observation, you can only see about 20 miles, or I'm, I'm not sure the exact time, but 20 or 30 miles in a distance on totally flat ground, and that's because the earth curves. If you have a mountain or something, you can see that 50 miles away because it sticks up. So anyway, I, I do think that the earth is curved. So that's my take on that. Thanks for your call, Jackie. I appreciate it. Let's go to Gary in California, and you're on the Truth and Liberty live call-in show with Andrew. Hi, Andrew. I uh, just uh, wanted to call in and ask a question. I uh, recently started uh, a few months ago um, receiving your material and listening to you, and I just God has really been opening my eyes up to Him in a in a new way, and I'm really excited about. Uh, what God is showing me. And then I, when I do see something from the Word that excites me and I go tell my wife uh, about it, sometimes uh, in my enthusiastic attitude, uh, it comes across, she says, as preaching to her. And I was just wondering if, as, as over the years, as your God has showed you things, has, has and have you ever showed them to family or friends and, and had them just kind of 
act like it wasn't uh, for them or that they didn't uh, they thought I was that they thought you were preaching to them or something has that ever been a part of your walk with the Lord <laughs> all of the time and Gary I know what you're saying but you know what you can't expect people to be as excited about what God told you as what you're telling them because you aren't God Amen. And they just take what you say with a grain of salt. But, uh, you know, over a period of time, people will see if what God has spoken to you is really from God, whether it's really life-changing or not. And plus, Gary, a lot of things that you get excited about, they may not, it may be a word from God and you make a paragraph out of it. And when you first hear something, I, I, this has happened to me, I get really excited and it turns out not to be as big of a deal as I thought it was at first. Let me give you for instance, when I was over in um, Scotland, I had an opportunity to start a radio station over there. It was gonna cost over a million dollars, but we made an application, went through a big thing. And I was so excited about that. And at the same time, the Lord spoke to me about starting a Bible college. I wasn't excited about the Bible college, but I was really excited about the radio station. It turned out the radio station didn't work, but the Bible college did. And in hindsight, I just, it was my flesh that latched onto this radio thing, because at the time, that's all I was doing was broadcasting on radio. And so over time, is how you really determine whether God has really spoken something to you. Because if it's God, it'll grow, it'll increase, it'll last. He will sustain it. If it's flesh, then it, it won't be that way. And so I always, like, this is something I teach in my school. I don't say this publicly or, you know, on television or a broadcast like this very often, but I won't teach anything to other people that I haven't seen for at least two years. I'll sit on something for two years and I'll meditate on it because there is this enthusiasm and maybe I get a word from God, make a paragraph out of it. I start thinking all of these things, but over time, all of the flesh stuff just kind of settles out and what remains is God. So I don't teach anything and I don't usually share revelations very quickly. Now again, with my wife, I share just about everything with her, but Jamie doesn't always like what I've I, she's never rejected me or anything like that, but she doesn't get excited about it because again, God didn't speak it to her. He spoke it to me. When I first started our Bible college, which has turned out to be one of the greatest things I've ever done, and I think that in long-term legacy, it's gonna be the thing that lasts long after I'm gone. Jamie wasn't for it because she saw all of the work associated with it. She saw that we were already struggling financially, and here I was opening up a brand new realm that just had potential of disaster written all over it. So she wasn't excited about it. But Jamie is the kind that, he, she'll voice her opinion. She's very free to share with me that she doesn't agree with something. She's not just a rubber stamp. But if she will you know, say, you know, I, I'm not excited about that, well, then that'll make me go back and make sure that I'm hearing from the Lord properly. And if I say, I know this is what God's telling me to do, Jamie just puts herself in neutral and she goes along with me. And Jamie has supported me and stuck with me. So I'm not saying that she rejects what I say, but she's not always excited about it. 
And Gary, I just think that that's the way it is with a lot of people because you heard directly from God. There's a difference when God is speaking to you and then when you are speaking to someone else about what God says. You, you shouldn't be confused or disheartened when you see people that aren't as excited about what God has said as you are because God didn't say it to them. So anyway, I hope that helps a little it bit. Does. It gives me insight on on what you've been through, so that that helps me to 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 know that. Well, uh, very good. Yeah. Well, thank you All so right. much, Andrew. You're, you're, thank you you're for your call, Gary. Hey. Appreciate it. All right, we got another call from California. This is Judy. Let me just say, Judy, before I talk to you, that we've got a line open now at seven one nine six one nine two three four one. And if you'd like to call and talk to me, you're welcome to do that. So let's go to Judy in California. You're on Truth and Liberty with Andrew. Hello, um, Pastor Andrew. Um, briefly, uh, I'm 85, and my great-grandson is five years old, and I've been taking care of him ever since he was born. His mother recently bought a home in another part of California, which is an hour and a half away. So on Friday, I went to pick him up, and when I went back to the elevator to go downstairs, the lady said, ma'am, uh, if you want something off the cart, all you have to do is ask me, don't take it. And I said, pardon me, I didn't take anything off the cart. You feel free to um, to search the cart. So she repeats it, and I repeated what I said. And, and so it really bothered me, and I thought, okay, fine. So I just called and getting the question together of, uh, is it biblical for me to defend myself? I reported the incident, and so I'm wondering if I should contact lawyers or anything about defamation of character. I, I don't want to do anything that is not biblical. No, Judy, I wouldn't do that. Uh, you know, that I had somebody write a terrible article about me just yesterday or something, and I haven't even read it, but they defame me all of the time, and I just let it go. And I would say that on a situation like that, I don't know what the problem is, but I'd let it go. The only way I would sit there and defend myself, and it's really not defending myself. If I was to stand up like I did in the COVID crisis, and I say, look, I'm standing for our liberties that we have. You do not have the right to shut down the church and yet keep, uh, you know, marijuana dispensaries open, strip joints open, and liquor stores, but you're going to close the church. Man, I stood up and I fought against that. That isn't really fighting for me. That's fighting for my liberties and freedoms that somebody is trying to take away. They're overstepping their authority. And if nobody stands up to them, I guarantee you people will take advantage of your liberties and do things. So I stood up against the governor of Colorado. I would stand up and defend the gospel if somebody is speaking against truth, and I will stand up and speak that, you know, marriage is between a man and a woman, not two men, not two women, that uh, all of this transgenderism and sex reassignment, I'm standing up against that. But I don't stand up and defend myself. And if I had time, Judy, I could give you dozens of examples of people that have said terrible things, have done great harm to me, and yet I have not retaliated. I haven't defended myself. I've even, I remember one minister, national minister, that came out against me publicly on their TV program that reached international, and they came out against me, and I didn't do a thing to defend myself. 
And uh, they got in trouble and sent out a letter asking for help, and I sent them money and helped them. <laughs> and most people would say, why would you do something like that? Did you know that God turned it around and today we're friends and this person's given me their personal phone number and wants me and my wife to come stay with them anytime we need a break and things like this? And I have seen that happen dozens and dozens of times. In Romans chapter 12, it says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. So God will defend us, but if you are defending yourself, He won't defend you. Uh, so anyway, Judy, my answer is I would not defend my own character. I would defend the gospel. I'll defend my rights and freedoms, and I'm not going to let people take those away, but I'm not going to defend my character. It's not that big of a deal. So that's the way I'd respond, Judy. What do you think of that? I think that's great because that was one scripture I was hearing of, and the other one I was hearing was touch not my anointed and do my prophets no harm. And so I, I called to see if I had any rights to say anything because I, I'm sure I'm not the only one that they do this to. So that was, I just want to make sure I'm doing the right thing, you know. And Well, Judy, according to the standards in our country, you can sue people over everything. And there's many people that would encourage you to do it. But I've also talked to a lot of people that had trouble with their family, you know, dividing an inheritance and it causes hatred between brothers and sisters, and it drags on and costs money, and it costs them their health. Uh, strife is a direct inroad of the devil. James 3.16 says that. And personally, it's just not worth it. You may have been treated wrong, but that doesn't mean that uh, you go out and sue the people or do anything. I would turn the other cheek on this one and just let it go and not be a big thing. So thanks for your call, Judy. I appreciate it. We've got a line open, I think, at 719-619-2341. Let's go to Jane from North Carolina. You're on Truth and Liberty with Andrew. Hey, Andrew. Thank you so much for taking my call. Um, You're welcome. Brief briefly, my husband and I uh, became believers in a conservative church 25 years ago. And um, in the last five or six years, I've been studying the scriptures and starting to find some things that I can't wash with what I've been taught from my church and it's much of what you teach. <laughs> and mm -hmm. um, so I went to one of my pastors and they, um, they, that you're misinterpreting the scripture. That's not what the scripture says. Those cease of the apostolic age, you know, and all of these things, there's no baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's only one baptism. There's no speaking in tongues. So basically, I'm, I'm okay with not agreeing with them. I, I feel strongly with what I, I understand now with this revelation of the Word that is new to me these last several years. But the problem lies with my husband. Um, he loves the Lord, but um, he thinks I'm going on a a tangent that I should not be going on. And he firmly believes in our church's doctrine. And um, so how do you come under your husband and submit and then still have the freedom to walk in what I believe with my whole heart now is truth? He hasn't seen me heal anyone. Um, and therefore, you know, is it really truth? Um, he has, we've seen godly people 
uh, that we love dearly die. So is it really God's will that all people be in health? Um, so I, I, I just don't know where the rub is in that. Do I come under him? And does it block the work of the Spirit? Well, Jane, let, let me say this. It, it's hard to give you an exact answer not knowing the total details. I know you gave me some, but I don't know the whole details. There's a lot of people that get hold of truth, and the way they share it with their elders at church or with their husband is in such a way that it causes problems. And I'm judging a lot just based on the tone of your voice, but you don't seem like that type of person to me. You sound like a person who's genuinely... Um, sincere and that you aren't condemning and you aren't... I mean, I've talked to some people that you can tell a lot about the way they talk. So I'm guessing, but I don't think that that's your problem. It sounds like you just really have a sincere uh, differences of doctrine between you and your husband. But look at it this way. You're the one who's changed, not him. You're the one who's seeing these new things. He's the same as he always was. And I, if I was in your position, I would just go out of my way to tell him that, look, I love you. I love you. You're the same guy that you were. It's me that's getting these re new revelations. And I really believe that they're from God, but I want you to know that I love you. And, and whether we agree on this, we, ad we do agree that we both are born again, that we both love God and that we both believe in the Word. Sounds like you're in the Word more than your husband is. And love is the thing that will win him over. The Lord said in the 17th chapter of the book of John, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples that by your love one for another. And so Jane, I, I've seen lots of people that got hold of the truth that I was teaching and they were married to somebody who didn't believe those things. It was like a traditional thing and it does cause problems when you aren't in agreement on some things. But you do agree on the foundational things, salvation and uh, what being born again is. And man, I'd celebrate those and love him and uh, just pray that God would open up his eyes. We've had some people in your situation that brought their husbands with them to some of our meetings because they were just thinking that they were in a cult or something. And when they come and see what's happening and they feel the love of God and people just, I mean, shower them with love and things and, and they see people healed and they see blind eyes open and people come out of wheelchairs, uh, sometimes that turns them around. So I don't know what else to tell you, Jane, other than you just confirm your love to him and don't make this an issue that unless you agree with me, we can't, uh, you know, continue in this marriage. Boy, you just confirm your love. And I believe ultimately you'll win him over, especially as he sees the power of God begin to work in your life. Does that help? That, that helps tremendously. Do, do you think it blocks anything though? Because I've been praying in faith for healing for so many people. And I believe I've seen healing for my own self, but I haven't seen it. Um, so do you think that in any way blocks the power of the spirit working? Well, it depends to what degree the disagreement is. If you just agree to disagree, but there's still love and unity, I'd say no. But if it's causing a division and if your husband is actually upset with you and if there's strife, it says in James 3, 16, where envying and strife is, there's confusion in every evil work. 
SO AS LONG AS YOU MANAGE IT PROPERLY AND IT DOESN'T CAUSE STRIFE AND DIVISION BETWEEN YOU AND YOUR HUSBAND, I'D SAY NO, IT'S NOT GOING TO AFFECT THE WAY YOU PRAY FOR OTHER PEOPLE. BUT IF IT'S, if it's CAUSING STRIFE IN THE MARRIAGE, YES, THAT IS A HINDRANCE THAT CAN HINDER. IT DOESN'T MEAN THAT YOU CAN'T STILL OPERATE IN THE POWER OF GOD, BUT IT IS A HINDRANCE AND YOU'RE GOING TO HAVE TO GET STRONG TO OVERCOME IT. SO I HOPE THAT HELPS, JANE. THANKS. LET'S GO TO Merith, MEREDITH IN uh, TEXAS, AND YOU'RE ON TRUTH AND LIBERTY WITH ANDREW. HI, ANDREW. THANKS FOR TAKING MY CALL. YES, MA'AM. Well, HEY, ANDREW. Um, so, um, I ACTUALLY HAVE a, a NIECE AND A NEPHEW THAT GRADUATED FROM KARIS, AND THAT WAS SUCH A BLESSING IN all OF OUR LIVES FOR THEM TO BE ABLE TO GO TO THAT. WE THANK YOU, FIRST OF ALL, FOR uh, GOD, FOR YOU BEING ABLE TO DO THAT. Now, I missed part of that. It broke up right at the end. So you had you had two relatives that came to Karis, and what happened? They, they graduated. They, um, I think one went two-year and one went three-year there. Uh-huh. And so we, we appreciate all that you have ever done for them and just for our family for having them be able to go. Well, that's awesome. Man, I tell you, Karis is a great place. I love it. I'm driving in my car, so I apologize. I'm listening to you on my way to where I'm going. So, all right. Um, um, I, I my question to you is, when when we when we pray for healing for someone and we we haven't seen it, do we still pray for th that person? Well, uh, I'd have to know the situation. Let me say it this way: If you pray for somebody and they get healed, do you take credit for it? No. No, I don't. it. No. Yeah, you pray, and it's God that heals them, and if they get healed. So if you pray for somebody and they don't get healed, do you take the blame for it? If you don't take the credit when they get healed, why do you take the blame when they don't get healed? So that's one of the things that I use to deal with things, because not everybody I pray for manifests a healing, and there's multiple reasons for that. It could be my unbelief. It could be that I'm struggling with some type of fear or unbelief, but it could also be that person. And it could be not either one of you, but it could be the surroundings. There's instances where Jesus went in to raise Jairus' daughter from the dead, and he put out all of the people who mocked and didn't believe. Why? Because that would hinder his faith. In the sixth chapter of the book of Mark, it says in his hometown, he could do no mighty work save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them, and it was because of their unbelief. And so Jesus, the one who operated perfectly in the power of God, didn't, it's not that he prayed for somebody and didn't see him healed, but he wouldn't even be allowed to pray for people because of other people's unbelief. So if Jesus had to have people around him in faith or it would hinder what he could do, well, then it hinders what we can do. And you can see that in Peter's life when he raised Dorcas from the dead in the book of Acts. He had to put out all of the other people. Uh, Elijah did the same thing. Elisha did the same thing when they raised people from the dead. Nearly every time they sought seclusion because of the unbelief of people around you can affect you. And those are just a couple of things I've mentioned, Meredith. I could probably mention dozens of things that are hindrances to healing. So when you're ministering healing to yourself, that's one thing. But when you're ministering healing to another person, it could be the atmosphere that they're in. It could be 
uh, things that they've been sowing for a long time. They're reaping what they've sown. They could have fears that they aren't even aware of. Uh, it could be just a multitude of things. So when you're praying for another person, you nearly have to have a gift of the Holy Spirit to know whether that person is really receiving or not. And uh, so as a general rule, I'd say I just pray in faith for people and lay hands on them and let it go. Now, if there's somebody that I know, or if I have time, I can sit down and talk to that person and find out where they are, find out what the hindrance is. And if I have time, I can nearly always get a person healed if I spend time with them, but I just don't have the opportunity to do that. So I pray for a lot of people not knowing whether this person is really receiving and whether it's going to manifest or not, and I just have to let it go. But I've also learned not to speak forth any doubts or reservations. I had one situation where a woman came in Chicago and she was so sick she couldn't even come to the meeting. So I went up to her hotel room. This woman had cancer and she was, she was like a Holocaust victim. She was nearly dead and they had her so doped up that she would try and talk to me and she'd fall asleep and when her chin hit her chest, it'd wake up and she'd finish her sentence but she was out of it. She had only listened for one week. She didn't have any maturity, any understanding of healing. And she was so doped up, I couldn't really talk to her. So I just prayed for her. And as we left the hotel room, I thought about saying, well, there's not a chance she's going to receive. It's too little, too late. But I've learned not to speak my unbelief. I just prayed and left it at that. And did you know, three months later, this same woman came running down an aisle in Houston, Texas, jumped up on the stage, and she was totally healed. I didn't even recognize her. And so I've just learned that if I have time, I'll try and deal with all of these things. But depending on the situation, sometimes I just pray for people and pray a prayer of faith. And if they fall over dead, I'd step over them and say next. <laughs> and that may sound harsh, but that's the way you got to be if you're going to pray for lots of people. Now, if you're praying for individuals one at a time, then I'd get my teaching on uh, healing that I have. I have a lot of teaching on healing. We have an entire healing university and a lot of things that will tell you how to minister to people, how to deal with people when it doesn't look like they've been healed. And if you have time, you can do those things. But otherwise, you just have to pray for them and leave the results up to God. Thank you, Meredith, for your call. We're going to have to take another break. This will be our last segment. And I think we have one line open, 719-619-2341. Let's take a 90-second break and I'll be right back on the other side. Andrew has many conferences and seminars around the globe each year. For the latest information on Andrew's complete speaking schedule, visit our website at awmi.net slash events. You were created with a purpose in the heart of God long before you were born he is calling you to find it we want to help you experience his unconditional love to be equipped and empowered to become a world changer 
Hey, you know, a big part of what we do here at Truth and Liberty is to provide you with the resources that you need in order to stand for truth in the public square. So I want to remind everybody to go to our website and check out our resources page at truthandliberty.net slash resources, where you can find material that discusses just about every issue we're facing today in our culture. And these are things that are prepared by our strategic partners and some of the uh, most influential and important organizations in America today. Welcome back to Truth and Liberty Live call-in show. I'm Andrew Womack. We're in our final segment for the next 30 minutes. I'm going to be taking people's calls. Let me just once again encourage you that if you're being blessed by this, you know, we have, I couldn't even tell you right now, but we probably have eight or nine people working to make this program work. And we do this five days a week. Plus, we put on a conference that's starting tomorrow, our Truth and Liberty Conference. Plus, we do a lot of things in the political area. We, uh, area. we put out uh, over a million voter guides during elections, and we just do a lot of things. We've got a website. We've got, I couldn't even tell you, but I think it's seven or eight people that are fully employed in uh, Truth and Liberty. And right now, I'm subsidizing this from Andrew Womack Ministries. So we do need people to become partners. What you do, if you go to truthandliberty.net, you can sign up and become a partner. And we call a partner anybody who gives an automatic withdrawal $5 or more per month. Man, that's just about the price of a cup of coffee nowadays at Star Starbucks uh, once a month. And, and we're doing a lot of things, and we need people to help us. So if you would like to join with us, we would appreciate it. Again, that's truthandliberty.net. You can go there and you can become a partner with us. So we got Lua from Arkansas, and you are on Truth and Liberty with Andrew. Welcome, Lua. Thank you. Uh, your ministry has been such a blessing to my whole family. And mm -hmm. my question for you is, uh, when you sent out the email that E.W. Jackson was going to run for president, we were elated. And we listened to his kickoff speech, and we made our first-ever contribution to a political campaign. Oh, that's great. But since then, I've heard nothing, and I even went to his website, and I couldn't really find out anything. Is he still in the running? Yes, ma'am, he is still running for president. Uh, E.W. is saying that the news media is just ignoring him. And I've looked for him, and I haven't, haven't seen anything. Every time they list the people running for president, they don't even mention E.W. So he feels like he's being slighted. Uh, I, I have had an opportunity. Uh, George Barna and a, and a television network are potentially going to put on a presidential debate and uh, they're asking Democrats and Republicans to come. And, of course, uh, Trump has said he won't debate. And they've been given an invitation to all of the candidates. And then they asked me to be a part of it. And I said, well, if you want me to be a part of the ones asking these questions, uh, you need to make sure that EW is included in the debate. And they said that they would. But I don't even know if that will come to pass. It just depends on whether or not any of the people will accept their invitations. This is scheduled for sometime in February of 2024. But to answer your question, Lua, he is in the running, and um, he's still going for it. And he said he's going to stay in it until the end. So that's, that's great. So thanks for your call, Lua. Let's go to Elizabeth, and you are a subscriber. A subscriber to Truth and Liberty means that you get our emails and things that we send out. And we do, like on Fridays, we send out positive news because there's so much negative news that comes out. And so we usually send out at least three things that are positive 
that happened during that weekend. Last Friday, we sent out a thing about how that there are now 1,600 uh, major scientists who have called this whole climate change thing a farce. And one of the Nobel laureates uh, just joined that and there's a major push against this. And so we send out that good news like that. And so anyway, that's what a subscriber is. So Elizabeth, thank you. You're from Missouri. You're on Truth and Liberty with Andrew. Yes, sir, Andrew. I just thank you and I appreciate you so much and everyone that makes this program possible. And I agree with the climate change scientists that say it's a farce. Anyway, that's not my question. <laughs> I, I had revelation several years ago through your teaching, what you were talking about earlier today, that um, when Jesus said that when I be lifted up, I will draw not all men, but God's judgment to me, all mm -hmm. of God's judgment to me. So I had that revelation. So since then... Um, I wondered if you would have an explanation, a digestible um, um, way of discussing with friends and family when they are saying judges, God is judging America, he's pouring out his wrath on America. Uh, how, how can we, in love, help them to have the revelation that this is not God's judgment? It is us running God out of America and yeah. getting ourselves out from under the umbrella of protection. That's how that's, I understand. That's a great question, Elizabeth. I've had to deal with that and answer that myself. I used to preach back in the very beginning when the Lord first touched me that if God doesn't judge America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah because America is becoming every bit as corrupt as Sodom and Gomorrah. But now I say that if God does judge America, he's going to have to apologize to Jesus because of that exact verse, John 12, 32, that Jesus took all judgment unto himself. So how do you look at the things that are happening? A lot of Christians are going to say this is God's judgment upon America, the hurricanes, the flooding, the heat, uh, plagues, different things. They, they just attribute all of these things to God. Here's a... Here's probably the easiest way to illustrate it that I have, and it's a, it's a big topic that I could talk about for a long time, but the easiest illustration is to just imagine that, you know, I've got this huge umbrella, and if I was standing there holding this umbrella, and if you were there close to me, then you would be under that protection, and you wouldn't get wet. But if you walk away from me and get wet, don't blame me for you getting wet. It was you that walked away from me. You alluded to that, Elizabeth. And God has now dealt with all of his wrath has been placed upon Jesus. And as long as we are seeking him and as long as we are staying close to the Lord, God does supernaturally protect us. And you could go back through American history. I've studied the Revolution, the Civil War, a lot of different things, and I guarantee you there are miraculous times that God has intervened and His protection has been on this nation. And I believe that God still 
wants to do that for us, but we are walking away from Him. We are, I mean, our leaders are openly defying Him and His standards, uh, advocating homosexuality, transgenderism, mutilation of children, pedophilia, and, and just you could go through a huge list. And so the things that are happening, I don't think it's the judgment of God. It's just the consequences. You sow to the flesh, you're going to re reap of the flesh corruption. Satan only comes to steal, kill, and destroy, John chapter 10, verse 10. And I guarantee you, when America walks away from God and away from His protection and away from His blessing, Satan is ruthless. And uh, man, hurricanes, floods, tragedies of all kind, this is just the results of living a life separate from God. It's not God's judgment. So that's a quick answer. Again, I could spend a lot more time on it, but that's the best illustration I have is just to say that if we would stay close to the Lord, like Psalms 91 says, if you dwell under the shadow of the Almighty, then none of these plagues will come nigh your dwelling. But if you walk away from the Lord, you are opening yourself up to the devil who is out to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's what's happening in our nation. Let me add to that, I believe that we are seeing a turnaround. People are beginning to wake up, and I believe that we are already in the third great awakening. It's not, uh, it's not to the degree that everybody recognizes it yet, but I believe by the Spirit of the Lord, I think that that's happening. And so I'm not discouraged. I am encouraged, and I'm on the front lines fighting. And I know you are too, Elizabeth. I appreciate you standing. I hope that helps you. Let's go to Karen in Massachusetts. You are on Truth and Liberty with Andrew. Welcome, Karen. Hi. Um, welcome. Um, thank you. Um, and thank you for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. Uh, and I've been listening for a while um, on the TV, and now I listen through my phone. Um, so I'm learning a lot. Thank you for teaching. Um, my question is, I've been in a longstanding battle, and um, I'm listening to, like, the authority of the believer and kind of going over that. Um, but when you don't know what to, I mean, I've done everything I know to do, and Jesus keeps on telling me not to worry about it. But when you're still in it, and he says not to worry about it, and I mean, you still have to cast your cares, but how do you find out? I mean, I'm spending time with the Lord, but I guess I'm looking for more answers. And, and I, I just wanted to know if there was any more wisdom you could give me in that. Well, Karen, what you're, what you're describing is maturity. And uh, some of these things only come with maturity. You have to grow. It's a process to get to where you can really cast your care on the Lord and, and look past all of the problems and keep your eyes on Jesus. Let me use this passage. This came to mind when you said this in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. This right here says the reason you get weary and faint, or in your words, you were saying, how do you endure? How do, how do you endure? It's by looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. And it says the way he was able to endure all of the things that came against him was because he saw the joy that was set before him. Most of us, if we had been in the situation that Jesus was in, 
even if we understood that it was going to bring salvation to the world, we would have been focused on what the cost was. We would have been focused on the, on the suffering, on the shame, the humiliation, the pain, the death, and all of these things. This says he was focused on the joy that was set before him. Now, he did acknowledge the price in Gethsemane. He prayed and hated it so much, not the death part only. It was the fact that he was going to become sin, something that he totally hated. He hated it so much that he asked if it was possible, if there was any other way to accomplish it, he wanted to do that. But when he found out that there was no other way, then he threw that to the side and he looked unto the Father and the way he endured was because he set the joy before him. So, Karen, that was you and me. He saw us and he saw what his sacrifice was going to do in our life and he looked at us and he says, it's worth all of the suffering. And that's how he looked at it. So this is what you have to do. Instead of looking at the opposition and the pain and the things that you're going through right now, look at the prize that comes at the end for standing faithful. And even if some way or another you had something that was going to kill you in this life, I don't know if your situation you're talking about is life and death or not, but if you had something that was that severe, well, you could look past this life and see that in the future there's not going to be any sorrow, pain, suffering, and it's going to well be worth it. And so that's it. You just keep your mind stayed on Jesus so that you don't get weary and faint in your mind. And that's, that's the principle. Now, how you do that, it takes some maturity to get to where you don't let your emotions and your hurts and your pains dominate you, but you let faith dominate you. But you can do it. I've learned to do it. I don't necessarily do it perfectly, but I do it. And man, I'm walking above the fray. You can do the same thing, Karen. Praise God. Thanks for your call. Hey, well, you got a line open if anybody wants to call us, 719-619-2341. Let's go to Rocco in New Jersey. You're on Truth and Liberty with Andrew. Hey, Andrew. I've been listening to your course, How to Get Along with People. I'm a second-year student. So I had a question about condemning words according to Isaiah 54, 17. So yep. Specifically... Like we find in 1 Samuel 17, 28, Eliab accusing David, his brother, and saying stuff like, you're proud, your heart is naughty. But David didn't condemn those words. He didn't get in the grandstands and argue with his brother. He just ran his race and overcame Goliath. So yeah. how do you balance Isaiah uh, 54, 17 with 1 Samuel? Like when do we condemn every tongue which rises against us, like Isaiah says? Well, you, you've been listening to a lot of my teaching because you quoted a lot of things I said in that question. So you've got a lot of information, and I agree with what you're saying. And I would have to say it's just, you have to be led by the Lord. Like I just had a newspaper article come out against me where they just ridiculed me. I didn't even read the whole thing. I, I read the first paragraph, and I saw where it was going. And I can't, I can't do anything about that article that they wrote about me without getting in the grandstands. And for those that don't know what Rocco's uh, talking about, the Lord spoke to me one time through a prophecy that I was like a runner on a track and I was leading the race, but the people in the grandstands were yelling at me and telling me I was doing it wrong. And in an effort to justify myself, I was up in the grandstands arguing with them. And this person who was ministering this prophecy to me said, even if you win the argument, you're going to lose the race. And so in a situation like that, see where this person has written about me, I don't have any direct contact with him. 
I don't have any way to actually respond. That newspaper is not going to let me print uh, something. So anyway, I just let that stuff go. But like you said, Roca, I, Romans, um, where is that? Uh, Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17 says, Every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. And so it is important that you condemn things. So I just took the things that they've said and I just said, I break any curses. I reject this. I refuse to let what they're saying dominate me and I condemn it. And so that's it. Now, if somebody was speaking to me personally and if they had, you know, this is an impersonal way that this person in the newspaper wrote against me. And so I can kind of deal with it in an impersonal way. But if somebody deals with me personally, somebody that I respect or, or something, and if they said something, man, right to their face, I would stand. If somebody says, man, you're going to die, I'd sit there and say, no, in the name of Jesus. I'm going to condemn that word. So, Rocco, going back to your question, I think it would depend on whether it's impersonal and it's just some negative thing that you heard. There's so much negative things. You can't be dealing with everything. Uh, it says in uh, Psalms, or Proverbs chapter 26, verse 2, the curse causeless shall not come. If it's not personal, if it's not uh, attacking you personally, if it's not somebody who's close to you, I probably would just let that go and just reject it in general. But if somebody was to come up to me and start saying, boy, you're never going to see all of this building come to pass, all of these things that you're saying, it's never going to happen. Boy, I'd, I'd condemn it right then in their face. And I've learned this, that if I hear somebody speak something to me negative that is contrary to what God is speaking to me, and if I don't want to offend them, so I don't say anything and I just let it go and I wait until I get home an hour or two later, that those seeds have already started sprouting and it's going to take more effort to get rid of them. But the moment somebody counters me personally and tries to come against my faith, I'll counter it right then. And if I do it at that exact moment, it just has no impact on me whatsoever. So that's pretty much the way I deal with it. And again, I, I know that may not give you a an answer for every specific situation, but you just have to be led by the Lord or you could spend all of your time just sitting there rebuking this and rebuking that. A lot of things I let go because the curse causeless shall not come. I have to entertain it. It has to somehow or another impact me before I'm going to really stand up and take my authority against it. So thanks for your call, Rocco. Let's go to Olivia in New Hampshire. And you're on Truth and Liberty with Andrew. Hello. So, Andrew, I'd like to ask if there is anything that a Christian should do to prepare for the tribulation. What should we be doing? You should be loving God with all of your heart. And I, I know, Olivia, that sounds really simple, but really you can't prepare for every single thing that's going to happen. But if you love God with all of your heart, like it says in Proverbs chapter 4, the very last verse, it says, Acknowledge Him in all of your ways, and He shall direct your paths. And if you are close to the Lord, God will show you things to come. John chapter 16, verse 13, the Holy Spirit will show you things to come. And so anything that's coming down the pike, if you are in relationship with God, I mean, close relationship, not where you visit there occasionally, but if you abide 
in the Lord to where you just are living for God and constantly in tune, He will show you when things are coming. He will guide you. And Olivia, this is really the key to any good thing that's ever happened in my life. I just put out a teaching entitled 10 Godly Leadership Essentials. And basically, I've never tried to be a leader. I've never gone to a leadership seminar. I've never studied leadership. And yet I am a leader because I have a relationship with God and God has spoken some things to me and I do a lot of the things. I have vision. I've learned to operate in patience. I've learned how to cast my care over on Him. I've learned how to deal with hardship, but I haven't done it by focusing on those things. I've done it by just focusing on the Lord and God just will tell me what to do. God will make you look smart. So Olivia, you can't prepare for every potential problem that's coming up. The only thing you can do is draw close to the Lord. And I promise you, God will never forsake you. He will be there with you. And that's, that's the way. I was teaching in school yesterday and I was making a similar point. And I said that they don't teach people who are bank tellers all of the possible ways that money can be counterfeited because there's too many. It'd be impossible to ever learn. What they do is they make them become so familiar with actual currency, the actual feel, the look, the texture, everything. They become so familiar with the real that they automatically recognize a counterfeit. And it's the same thing in every area of your life. You just have to become so close to the Lord that you know anything that comes down the pipe that does not square with what God is speaking to you and what you're hearing. You just know that that's wrong and you reject it and you deal with it. So that's the way that I do it. I'm not thinking about the tribulation period. I'm not thinking about anything that's coming down the pipe. You know, Olivia, let me just say this one last thing. I, in 2019, I was thinking about, you know, a lot of things happened in my life according to the decades. And I was thinking back about the previous decades. And I was thinking, what's this next, uh, you know, the 2020s, what's it going to be? And I was asking the Lord, what's going to happen? And I mean, the Lord spoke to me just as clear as anything I've ever heard. And he says, you don't want to know. <laughs> and when I heard that, I thought, well, I do want to know. And he said, no, you don't want to know. And I've thought a lot about that. And, you know, it goes back to what you're saying, Olivia. If you knew everything that was going to happen, it would either intimidate you, it would cause fear, or you, if you knew that you were going to overcome, you'd become so anxious to get it over with and get on the other side that you wouldn't be faithful where you are. You just, there's a reason why we don't know everything. But we can know God, and if we walk with Him, then no weapon formed against us is going to prosper. We are going to win in any and every situation, and that's just the way I approach my life. It doesn't matter what the devil throws at me. I win because I'm going to stay in tune with God. So I hope that helps you, Olivia. Thank you for your call. Let's go to uh, Jeannie, uh, and you are an AW. M partner, also a Truth and Liberty partner. You're from Mississippi. Thank you very much for being a part of that. You're on Truth and Liberty with Andrew. Andrew, I think you might remember me. I came to Karis for one semester last year to heal from my husband's passing, and you might remember that my truck was stolen and everything. I in remember it, including all of that. My full-length mink yeah. coat. Yeah. Anyway. 
this popped up as my memory today. One year ago today, you held my hand and prayed for me that I would get the sevenfold return. And I have been believing on that, and I believe it, and I've done everything I know to do. Now, I will say, uh, my stock this year went up by 45000 so that may be part of it. But I figured without, you know, without being wrong that... Satan owes me a hundred and forty thousand dollars, and we are—we've always been tithers. I just did my tithes. I do it through stock every year. I'm doing twenty percent this year. Hallelujah! Amen. And so that's not Amen. the problem. So tell me what else I need to do. Well, I think you just need some patience is what it sounds to me like. If you've already had a $45,000 increase in your stock, there's not a lot of people that can say that in the last year. This has not been the best time. And so I think you're already receiving it. But, you know, it just says in this life, you're still alive, Jeannie, and God is giving it to you as you can handle it. You know, lots of times people, if they win the lottery, they want this lump sum all at one time, but you actually get a lot more if you just have patience and allow it to come out over time. And so the Lord's promise is that you will receive it in this life. It didn't say that you'll receive it immediately, but you're already seeing benefit. I would just encourage you to stay the course and hold on to it. And I know that God's promise is true and that you will receive a hundredfold return. I believe that. Man, it's great to hear from you. I'm glad that uh, things are working out for you. I remember when you came to Karis and told me about that, you had such a good attitude, and yet you'd lost your husband, and what was it? Your pickup was stolen, and you had your mink yeah. coat in there, and I mean, yeah. it was devastating, and yet you were still praising God. That's really I, I awesome. I just chose that day that that happened, Andrew. I made a choice. I will not let this get me down. And so I've been happy ever since, but I just want what Satan owes me. But I didn't remember that part about in this lifetime, so I'm doing good, yeah. You are doing good. It doesn't have to come back all at once. Matter of fact, you know, I think that if God, let me just use myself, if God had prospered me and given me all of the finances and the and the blessings that I have right now, if he'd have done that 20 years ago, I'd have wasted it on something. I wasn't to a point where I could really handle that. And I'm convinced, you know, we're in a billion dollar building program and if God just gave me a billion dollars all at once, I'm not sure that'd be the best way to do it. Because if I had that, I, I might not be as dependent. I might not be seeking the Lord as strong if, if there was no pressure whatsoever. And so anyway, I've, I'm just seeking the Lord and however God does it is fine with me. I don't put a time limit on God. I think that that could be dangerous. But Jeannie, it's great to hear from you. I appreciate you calling. Thanks. Thank God that you're doing good. All right, last call here. We're going to have to go to Kelly in Texas. We've just got about three and a half minutes. Kelly, you're on Truth and Liberty with Andrew. Thank you. Um, I don't know if you can hear me or not, but... Um, I can. Just fine. Okay, so how, how do we hear God's voice? I've been having such a hard time and trying to listen to your teachings, and I'm, I'm desperate. <laughs> Well, Kelly, I just happened to have written a brand new little booklet on four keys to hearing God's voice. 
And uh, if you would like to call my helpline, it's open 24-7. That number is 719-635-1111. And tell them that you talk to me here on Truth and Liberty. They'll send you that little booklet or you could go on our website. And I taught on it recently on television and you could watch, I think it's a two-week teaching on, on this very subject and it would help you. But in a nutshell, everybody has a conscience. That's the most foundational way that God speaks to us. And then God speaks to us through the Word. And that is the most uh, authoritative way that God speaks to us. It's subject to less doubt than any other way, but it's not always specific. So on top of your conscience and the Word, then God will also speak to you uh, through your spirit and He will speak to you because your born-again spirit is in tune with the Holy Spirit. And then He can speak to you through dreams, revelations, prophecies. Those are four major categories. That's not to say the only thing. But that little booklet is just awesome. So I would encourage you, Kelly, that you could call and ask for that. And if you're in a desperate situation, let me just pray for you real quickly. We've only got less than two minutes, but... Father, I just pray for Kelly and all of the people watching this. Whatever Kelly's need is, I know that you love her and that you want to speak to her, and I know that you have the perfect answer for exactly what her situation is. There's nothing too hard for you. So, Father, I and all of my brothers and sisters that are watching this, we pray for Kelly in Texas right now, and we're asking that whatever needs to happen, if you need to send somebody to help her, if you need to stop the devil from doing something, if you need to give her wisdom so that she can make a decision, whatever it is, we just release your power to her. And we believe that she is your sheep, that she hears your voice, and that she is not going to follow the voice of a stranger that, Father, she has your mind, the mind of Christ, and that she's going to do the right thing. So we just agree, and we thank you, and we pray that Kelly's going to have a miraculous response very, very quickly and hear your voice in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for your call, Kelly. We're out of time today. Again, let me remind you, we do this every single day at 3.30 Mountain Time until 5 o'clock Mountain Time. And we would encourage you to join with us. You can also go to truthandliberty.net and you can see archive programs and interviews, all kinds of things. So thank you for doing this. Man, I, I've enjoyed it today. Those were some great questions. And I know that whatever your question is, God has an answer for it. So please, you can call our helpline, 719-635-1111, even after this program is off the air. And we're there 24-7 to pray with you and to answer your questions and help you any way we can. So check it out, 719-635-1111. Thank you. God bless you. We'll see you again tomorrow for Truth and Liberty. Thank you for joining today's Truth and Liberty livecast. You can watch today's and past livecasts in our archives at truthandliberty.net. Our goal is to educate Christians and connect them with resources and organizations to help them impact their sphere of influence. You can help us accomplish this by making a donation at truthandliberty.net slash donate. Join us next time for more Truth and Liberty.